This, 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 this is mythical. Hey, Mythical Beast, before we get into this Ear Biscuit, we wanna let you know that if you sign up for the Mythical Monthly newsletter right now at mythicalmonthly.com, you can get the link to our Spotify playlist that we've created. That's our soundtrack for fall, and it can be your soundtrack for fall. That's fall music handpicked by us. Mythical Monthly links to our Spotify playlist. And speaking of Spotify, you can also enjoy this podcast that you are listening to right now on Spotify. Uh, you just go over there and you go to the podcast section within the browse tab on your mobile device or search for your favorite show. Your favorite show is Ear Biscuits. You know, search for Ear Biscuits. And to find more podcasts, head to spotify.com slash podcast. So enjoy Ear Biscuits on Spotify. And your second favorite show and all the other ones that are also on Spotify. Yeah, you can enjoy other ones, we won't be hurt. Now on with the biscuit. Welcome to Air Biscuits. I'm Link. And I'm Retta. <laughs> I did add a syllable. Retta, you wanted to stretch it out. Uh, I, why you gotta notice? Joining us this week at the round table of dim lighting, Link, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> we have a bona fide, real life paleontologist. Bone digger. We did it, man. We, 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 we're gonna meet a paleontologist. <laughs> He's so excited. I mean, this. This is uh, this is at your request, yeah. And I, I'm excited to just be here and and watch your bubble be burst. No, I don't. We haven't talked to her yet. But She's, you know, this is it's my dream job. It's my backup. Have job. you said who who she is? Uh, Doctor Emily Lindsay. She is uh, currently stationed at the La Brea Tar Pits. Lo- I, I local. Did, I don't mean burst in your. When I say burst your bubble, I just think your expectations of like this is the best job on earth. Don't tell me anything, don't, that, don't I just don't, don't want her me. to bring you back down to like, you know, excavation level. It you is know? the best job on earth. By the, by the end of our conversation, we don't know yet, because we haven't had it, the, the operative question is, how are you gonna feel about it? Are you, are, you, are you abandoning our efforts here in order to tag along with her uh, without pay, or are you gonna, are you gonna just, Say all right, I'm happy for you, but I realize it's not my calling anymore. It is an unknown at this point. We'll because, see. Because we'll see how a lot it of pans times out. We have already talked to the person, to the guest, when, and then we record the intro. We're mixing it up. We're recording the intro before we talk to the guest. So I, I mean. am so mixed up. Um, we carpooled into work today, and as happens many times, we begin a conversation that then, oh, nope, I'm not going to tell you about that. I'll tell you about that during the podcast. Yeah. Because we keep it real for you guys. We don't like to have conversations we've already had. We don't recreate conversations. Who does that? that we're moving at the speed of real conversation right. here. Um, so what was the first, oh, this is what you said. You were like, there was a lull in our convo. And then all of a sudden you threw out there, I almost got in a fight with somebody mm-hmm. on the street. Mm-hmm. And before I could perk fully up and be like, what, what? You were like, but, but. <laughs> Save it for later. So let me have it. Uh, it because, you, I mean, loyal Ear Biscuiteer, we, di- we discussed this and we discussed how we would approach any type of road rage situation moving forward. I, I, I definitely believe that. It factored in? If you were the one that this happened to. Oh gosh. That, uh, you may not be standing, you're sitting here with me today. Oh really? Yeah, it, it got that intense. What? 
Okay. Um, so where, where was I? I? I was driving by myself as I like to do. That explains why I don't remember this. Um, and I was on the west side. Uh, don't make it over there that often. But I am driving along and I'm on, on Hollywood Boulevard for, for some reason like it was sending me, I, I was going to uh, the west side like around UCLA area but. That's it, highfalutin area. It was sending me not on the 405, like the 101 to the 405 but it was sending me to Hollywood Boulevard. You sounded like an episode and, of the Californians. And then like through town like Basically, if you're gonna take trust Hollywood. It. You, just trust yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trusting the navigational system. But that's, but that's what they call the surface streets. Surface streets, you, there's a lot to see, but there's also a lot more decisions to be made about like, oh, because it's, it's, you know, LA is one of those places where you'll get up to this intersection and all of a sudden there'll be like four options as opposed to just like a left and a right and a straight there's also like another road that's kind of like, oh, they connected that road too. So it was, with that, it was that intersection like on Sunset somewhere where there's like. Oh, are you talking about the like. No, no, no. The fi- there's that really famous one. Not the one with like eight roads that come into it it's, and there's if, no stop, line, the, stop the, light or anything. The bird's eye view of that intersection and basically that's residential Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, a bird's eye view of that is it looks like a daggone asterisk with in everybody has a stop sign. But no, there's no lights. There's or no lights. You just go and navigate. It but wasn't it, that. But it's literally that many rows coming together. It was. Just, it was a normal light. But I get up there and I realize that I'm in the turn lane to go left, which would send me down one of those squirrely roads. And I actually wanted to go not like left, left, or left, but just half left. I wanted to go left, but was te- it was technically straight because it was a left turn but it wasn't as left as the, it's one of those weird intersections. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the left turn lane and I'm already like, uh, I feel like I'm I, I'm gonna be late to where I'm going, which is another story for another time where I'm going. Well this makes, that statement right there makes you wrong. This is all your fault now. You've just admitted to that just by saying I was late. I, was, no. I think that means this is your fault but don't tell me. It's yeah. just now I'm predicting that no matter what happens in this story, mm. it was your fault. I think we're because bo- you think were, were late. I think we're both at fault for the initial incident. So I, I have my left. How many incidents? Is this my in? left blinker on to turn left, but then the people going straight get the green light. Mm. Okay, and then so they start thinking. going, and I'm thinking, is there going to be an opening where I can pull out of the left lane and get back into the straight lane and go through the intersection? Mm-hmm. And I'm like looking in my rear mirror, side mirror, and I see, dude, that dude's totally lagging. Like that dude's texting or something. Mm-hmm. He, he he left me like a five car gap. Like, oh, like it wasn't even like. That is nice. It wasn't even pulling out, it was like, he was asking me like, oh, come on, come on. Cause I had my blinker on. Mm. on to a, go to the a, right. It's like on a platter. So. Oh, you, you switched your blinker I over? I switched my blinker to the right to let people know that I'm trying to get over. This guy, text boy, is giving me this big gap. Text boy gives you a big gap, you take advantage of the gap. Oh yeah. So I pull in and I'm like, home free. Are you like, skirt? What I did not see was a motorcycle. Oh no. Ooh, ooh. ooh. No, 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 no. But because he was behind text boy 
and, and he saw the gap. And, and he was splitting lanes, as is, it is legal to do that in California. As is done. So he, so basically, I get out there and he's making up the difference behind text boy and this is kind Coming of. Coming around text boy. Yeah, what ends up happening is as I basically get completely into the lane and up to speed, he gets right beside me like continuing to split the lane but he's mad. On the passenger side. On the passenger side but he's mad because I just did what I did, right? Because mm-hmm. I pulled back into the, I don't think I did anything illegal. I just did something that was kind of unexpected and quick and when you're on a motorcycle, you're sensitive to those things which I recognize. <laughs> but he was so mad that oh. I had done this. Did he have, how did you tell that he was so mad? <laughs> well just wait. So. As I'm going, he comes up next to me and is like literally like, it felt like what he was trying to do was like trying to tap me with his leg, like with his bike, like trying to initiate contact with me to like basically say like, you did that and then you hit me, but actually I really hit you, but I'm trying to make it look like you hit me. Oh really? You thought he was he was taking taking a fall? But I had no idea that I mean I didn't feel anything. He just got really close to me. Then he pulls out in front of me and turns around and like waves and says, "Pull over." Pull over. Like this dude in like a leather jacket. What kind of bike? Like he, he's on like a crotch rocket, but he he looked like he was like ready to race, you know. Mhm. Full, full helmet. helmet, full helmet, but but glasses that I could see his clear glasses. He didn't have a visor, like glasses, like what, not what you have on, but glasses I could see his eyes. Spectacles. And he's turning around. He's like, pull over, and he gets so slow. He gets down to like one mile an hour, and I'm stop, and and I can't go, and I'm right up on him, and all these people start honking. He's like trying to take me down and take me off of the road. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and so I'm thinking lots of things. I'm thinking I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm a big guy, but I probably don't actually want this to come to blows. <laughs> How do I defuse this situation? At the time, I had no idea what he was thinking. I think he was just mad and he wanted to like pull me over and tell me off. What are you thinking? So this goes on for a couple of minutes, like slowing down traffic and getting me to go pull over and I'm just like, just continuing, just, I got my sunglasses on, I'm just like continuing <laughs> to go like one mile an hour, not stopping. <laughs> And, this is crazy. And I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna try to get around him or something like that. I didn't wanna do anything rash that would suddenly like hit him, you know? So I'm giving giving him space. So then. You're giving him a gap. He. Did you shake your head? No, look, no. No, then we come to a stop sign, a, stop, a stoplight. Oh yeah. And at that point, I come to a stop and he comes up. He backed up. He didn't back up. I was like, I'm gonna. I don't care. I'm not. I ain't scared. So he like stops, and I like pull up right beside him, and I roll my window down. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm going to engage as a, a, a in a human way here. <laughs> a human way. And I just, <laughs> I'm so nervous right now. And so I roll down the window, and I just kind of look at him. I know you lived. And uh, he says, "You hit my leg." You hit my leg. He had a, 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 an accent that I couldn't place. You hit my leg. Well, that's irrelevant. And uh, I'm just giving you full okay. pictures here. And then he said, uh, you hit my leg when you pulled out or something like that and I was like, so I was like, how am I gonna play this because I definitely did not hit his leg. If anything, he hit me and he's trying, to, it's like one of these insurance things where he's, oh, 
totally left out. The whole time he got behind me, he took all these pictures of my car and my license plate, and then he got in front of me and, and turned around and took pictures with of me. With his phone? Lots of, he took, he's got lots of pictures of me with his phone. And then when, he, when I stopped and he said that thing, you hit my leg, he was taking a bunch of pictures. He said, you hit my leg, I'm taking pictures. I've taken pictures, I, took, I got pictures of you. As you're saying, as you're talking to him? Yeah, but then I was like, what am I gonna say? Because I'm not gonna admit that I hit his leg because I didn't. You should have been like, dude, take video. I'm. A, I, let's put this on record. But then I said, hey man. You're gonna like piece the pictures together to form like a stop motion animation of your defense of. Yeah. I said, hey man, I am really, really sorry about this. I, about I'm, what, hitting his leg? Mm -hmm. I, I said. You admitted to I it. I said, I'm really sorry that I that I pulled out into that lane uh, I didn't see you because I was just like, what am I gonna do? Because he wasn't doing video or anything. I was like, what can I do to just get out of this situation? Yeah. And then he was like, but you hit my leg. And then I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think I hit your leg. I think you ran into me. <laughs> but listen, but you had already apologized. But, listen, but I was like, but listen, for something, I'm really, really sorry that this had to happen. That this happened. But it did have to happen. And uh, and then he looked at me and he was just like, <laughs> shook his head and sped off. Oh, you got him. Got him. Were you thinking about our podcast conversation it for a split second at all? You were like, I can't, I can't, after lecturing the linkster I knew I could about this road rage. I can't match his level. I, had to, I can't match his level. I brought it down, I brought it down. Did you think that at the time? No, I, actively. No, no, I just naturally knew that that was how I was going oh to engage. You gotta give me a little credit I that you learned from I me. I brought it down and I came in apologizing not admitting guilt and it and apology it, guns blazing and also um, basically calling him out and saying I you, I think you hit me I, so so you know I was letting him know that I had a difference of opinion about this did he was he ever yelling did he give you a level that you could have matched he was very mad but it was he he was he was talking aggressively man I would have matched his level <laughs> I would have not I, I have not learned the lesson. I felt it as you're telling the story, and I think that would have been like, he'd be like, "Why are you yelling?" I'd be like, "I'm just matching your level." And then I would be like, "Oh, did I just say that again?" Yeah. I would have been worried it. about you. I would have been worried about you because he's man. He but seemed, I wish I was there. He seemed and a little I, off. I wish I was there because it it would have been what I needed. It's like the one time I'm not there is the time I needed to be there so that we could have tested. Like you didn't need to be tested. This was, it's a, I mean. No, but it just proves that Just my, like you're telling the story, I don't, no, I know. We don't proves, need to prove that it, you're right. It proves that, that my theory works in action. Well, I, I agree with it. What I'm trying to prove is that I'm a different person based on the conversation. So I, I can see us right now. It's like, he's up there and I'll be like, man, pull up beside him, roll to one, or you'd be like, all right, here he is. I'm gonna pull up beside him. I ain't scared. You shouldn't be scared, but don't match his level. I'm gonna roll the window down. Here's your chance, Link. Go in apologizing. Apology guns are blazing. Mm -hmm. You disarmed him. Yeah, but I still don't know if I'm gonna get some sort of like letter from the cops. I don't know, can you like take a picture of somebody's well, car and be like, this person. if you didn't person... do it, they can't prove that you did it. I don't think. I have that much faith in. Oh, I have my whole story ready. Well, I'll he be probably, like, well, I'll tell you what happened. They usually have video, these, I didn't these do motorcyclists. Any, I didn't do anything illegal and he ran, he came up and ran into me and then said I ran into him and first of all, no one ran into anybody because he didn't do. We, there was no contact. I'm, he he may have brushed my car with his pant leg, but that's not hitting his leg. But anyway, wherever you're at, motorcycle man, you know I'm sorry. I'm sorry we couldn't work things out. You've already apologized. Don't apologize again. Yeah. 
I didn't hit you, man. Don't grovel. You, you hit me, if anything. <laughs> this episode of Ear Biscuits is supported by Audible. That's right, Audible, the official home of our book of mythicality in audio form, a distinct experience from just the reading form, which is a book. It's the audio mm-hmm. form that you can listen to us read the book to we you. We actually read it, we can read, and we did it. And we sang a song, so that's available for pre-order right now, and we are very excited about that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just excited because I listen to so many things on Audible, so many books that it's cool that we're gonna have one on there. You feel legit now. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I can listen to my own book. But if, if there's one that's available right now that I highly recommend, it's called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. I've actually been telling people that I think that this is required reading or required listening for homo sapiens. Like if you are a homo sapien, you should listen to this book uh, because it's just so comprehensive. It's a long listen, but if you got something to do that's gonna take a lot of time, like we've been signing lots of books of mythicality, uh, I listened to this book while signing, 17 hours worth of it. Gracious. Um, Highly recommend that. Okay, and you know what? To grease the skids, Mythical Beast, uh, we got an offer for you. A free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash earbiscuits. That's audible.com slash earbiscuits, and you can browse the unmatched selection or get Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. Download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Like I said, go to audible.com slash earbiscuits. Audible.com slash earbiscuits. Ear Biscuits is also supported by Nature Box. Now, if you are like us, uh, you like to eat right, but sometimes when it comes to snacks, it can be difficult to make the right choice, but now you can enjoy what you're eating and also feel good about it thanks to Nature Box. Mm-hmm, they got over 100 in snacks. 100 in snacks. 100 in snacks. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you add the word snack after a number. I don't yeah. even know what that means. Well, yeah, you, well, you 100 in snacks. 100 in snacks means at least 100 <laughs> snacks. And <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Are you a sweet man with an affinity for cookies? Well, how about some whole wheat vanilla animal cookies? Are you a savory man like me? You might enjoy <laughs> the aged cheddar lentil loops. The bottom line is it's really simple. All you gotta do is go to naturebox.com, choose the snacks you want, and Naturebox will deliver them right to your door, and there is no risk if you try a snack and you don't like it, don't eat it, stop eating it. Nature Box will replace it for free. Here's their jingle. Up your snack game with Nature Box. Oh, it's new jingle? It Up changed. your snack game with Nature Box. Nature Box is offering three free snacks for your first order when you go to naturebox.com slash ear. Naturebox.com slash ear. Three free snacks. Let me clarify that that is not the official jingle of Nature Box. That is Link's official jingle for Nature Box. Naturebox.com slash ear. And Nature Box may or may not approve of it, uh, but I approve of it. Now back to the biscuit. Now it's time to um, to gear up for the conversation with the doctor of bone digging. Let's have it. What did they tell you when they reached out to you and said that we wanted to talk to you. Was it like weird? Like, hey, these guys, these guys want to like question you incessantly about paleontology. No, I get it all the, the time. Week? You get it every day of the week. <laughs> I get it all the time. I mean, how many people? So, so what you're saying is, is that my personal interest in paleontology and the my impression that it would be a dream job is just something that is just. It's not, not. It's not that uncommon. A lot of people have that illusion. Yeah. 
illusion. Wait, no, I'm Wait, just it, it, It's romanticized. I mean, you should uh, go, go all the way. Give her the full context of your um, your admiration. Just what well, in your brain? What is this? What is this like? When I think about this, is like a big moment for you. It is because I don't <laughs> think I've ever actually, um, besides like at a museum, had a legitimate conversation with a paleontologist. But I've spoken often about how much I want to be one. I have now. You tell me where I'm wrong. I just have this picture in my mind. I'm in. I'm in all khaki. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. First short, things first. Short sleeve. No, 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 no. No. Rolled up sleeves. Khaki shorts. Nice. Boots. Khaki socks. For some reason, in the picture that I that I'm in, and a hat. You've already said all khaki. Now you're just kind of like <laughs> saying the same thing, but more specifically. And my beard is as big as it can get. And it's khaki? And it has, because of the the, the, the sun and the being out there for the summer, it has turned blonde and my skin has turned red. And I'm just out there patiently chipping or brushing. And, that, and that's my happy place. I've never been to that place. I don't think I've ever worn a khaki top and bottom together. I don't know if that's what you wear. Is that your happy place? And would you do you think it would be my happy place? And where am I wrong? It's it's pretty great. Um, you probably wouldn't have shorts on. You'd probably have long pants. Okay, I knew that because you're going to be you know out in the field. It's right. it's rocky. It's sharp. That. As long as they're khaki. They they can be any color you want. That works. Okay. Um, it's uh, it can be hard. It can be boring. Uh, it takes a certain type of personality, I think, to want to sit, you know, in the dirt all day and sort of very slowly chip away at the rock. But it can be very zen-like. I mean, I feel like you mm -hmm. know, people who surf kind of can get into that zone, and people, hmm. you know, who dig up fossils can kind of get into that zone. I just pictured a surfer in all khaki. I never, I've never pictured that before. Oh, that'd be cool. We could start that. My fear is, is that I have this picture. But then I would get bored, and then and then be like, oh, we shouldn't have brought the tall guy. Like he thought he was gonna find a T Rex on day one, and look at him over there talking now, to himself. Now he wants mumbling. a latte. Khaki guy wants a latte. Like on his phone. You think that would happen? I don't think you'd be on your phone because you probably wouldn't have very good cell phone reception. Right. That's good. So the Zen-like part of it. Okay. So let's attach the the theory to some practical reality here. Like, when's the first time you did this? When did it, when did it click into place for you? Like how do how do you how do you know that this is what you want to do? Were you a hole digger as a child? No. So I actually I I explicitly was pretty sure I didn't want to be a paleontologist for mm. most of my educational career. Um, I I was interested in archaeology, but I sort of came to the conclusion that that was maybe people were a little too messy, so I didn't want to I didn't want to do archaeology. I completely fell in love with ecology when I was in college and decided that that was what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. the direction I wanted to go, because it works with systems. And I really liked that sort of integrative system level nature of like, oh, here are all these things that are living together. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, here's how they're interacting with each other and with their environment. And if you change one aspect of that, if you take away a species, you add a new species, you change the temperature, you change the, the precipitation, 
what does that do to that whole system? I found that really compelling. And I actually became a marine biologist for a while. Uh, that's like everybody else's dream job. How you well, just like going from one dream job to the next. So that's what every kid wants to be. You're picturing like riding dolphins. No, I'm not talking about SeaWorld, man. I'm talking about like if you go, if you pull a class of first graders. Animal, ocean life. 56% of the class will want to be a marine biologist. 28% of the class will want to be a paleontologist. But none of them follow through with it except you and, and the other people who did, which is pretty awesome because most people don't. And then what did you end up doing as a marine biologist? She wrote on dolphins. You did, didn't you? <laughs> I, I didn't. I actually, I studied invertebrates, like squishy uh, little things you can barely see that live underwater. But I got to scuba dive for a living for a few years, and that was great. And I got to go to Antarctica and work there, which was great. So I had some great experiences. You scuba diving in Antarctica. How thick is a wetsuit in order to be able to? It's a dry suit, man. It is a dry suit. It's a dry suit? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look at that. We just I just dry suited you. <laughs> I know a thing or two about scuba diving in Arctic. <laughs> he can't pronounce I, I, the continent. I can't pronounce it, but I know I've seen I've watched Discovery Channel a few times. Well, Start. how cold do you get? in your dry suit. So, so full disclosure, I actually wasn't scuba diving in Antarctica. Oh. I scuba dove in New England, but oh, I did get to work in Antarctica close. off of a boat. So you're, like, you're going in and getting like a picture of the way things are at the time that you're there. You may not necessarily know exactly what you're contributing, but it, you're, you're bringing this data back that then someone is like running it against this, this you know, over this 30 year period and being yeah. like, well, this, this is, you know, they're finding this many whatchamacallits in a, in this area, and, and that's how it's changing. Pretty much, yeah. And and this is what they're eating, and this is how fast they're growing, and uh, how many babies they're having, and all, all right. of those different things. And so, you know, I was there for this small time slice of this much larger picture. And then somebody's that like, well, building. the birth rate of whatchamacallits has gone down uh, with every degree that the earth has heated up. Things like, see, I could do this, man. I just, you just throw in, you put something in, instead of whatchamacallits, and, right? It's, it's that easy. I'm staying out of this. <laughs> so, no. but how did you move from marine biology to paleontology? Was there something that like made you jump tracks? Like, was there a moment of inspiration? Yeah, there, there, were, there were a couple of moments. One was um, I sort of became a little bit disenchanted with marine biology, not as a discipline, but I felt like the type of research I was doing was a little bit narrower than what I wanted. It was, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it was, it was really important research, but I have a lot of interests. I'm a really sort of integrative person and I just, I wanted something a little bit broader. Um, and then, you know, uh, throughout like college, people had been telling me, hey, you like dead things because you go on all these archeological digs, but you also like animals, you should be a paleontologist. and. I would say, no, that's just people like describing new species of dinosaurs. I don't think that's really interesting. That's not that's not where I want to go. Mm -hmm. But then I was working at this site in Patagonia in southern Chile, and it was a cave site, and it had some of the earliest human skeletons in what? South America. It had like uh, 11 human skeletons buried in this cave that were around 10,000 years old. And we Whoa. also had bones of extinct giant mammals in the cave. The coolest one being one of my favorites, the giant sloth. Oh, so there yeah. are all these, all these giant sloth bones in the cave. And there's this question of, 
were the humans at this cave site at the same time the megafauna were living there, these these big extinct animals. They were eating giant sloths? Maybe. That was one of the questions. And and also, you know, it's this- Were you there when they discovered it or did you show up? I showed up later. Which is still exciting just to see that. I mean, the some of the oldest humans in South America, you said? Some of, some of the earliest skeletons in that region, yeah. Because people didn't get down there to that part of the world until like 10,000 years ago or so? Actually, um, some of the earliest sites we have in the Americas uh, are in South America, the oldest one being about 14,500, but we don't have skeletons there. We just have sort of evidence that people people were living there. Right. Um, but there's been this like debate in paleontology and archeology span for more than half a century now of why don't we have any of these cool big animals around anymore? So, you know, if you think about uh, like uh, the African savanna, right? Like, what do you think of? You think of the giraffes and you think of elephants and, and rhinos. Khaki. You think of the zoo. Right. So what most people don't realize is that until about between 10 and 50,000 years ago, pretty much every continent on earth looked like Africa. Right, so for 50 million years, there have been a lot of big animals on all the continents on Earth. So, so not that it all are like savanna, but that it all savannas, but that it all had big animals crawling around. Can yeah, I, can I throw out a layman's theory, and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong? You bet. So the reason that those animals are still in Africa is because they co-evolved with the people there. But all these other big animals that you find in North America, they evolved and then modern man showed up and killed them all. That is one of the theories. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Let's just dry pipe. suit. Let's just pipe down <laughs> a little bit. Dry suit boys, back. I won't keep doing I'll keep doing that. If I have an idea, I'll throw it out. Yeah, no, that's 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 good. That's what one. You, that's one of you the on that, ideas. Are you on the same page? She's as not going to hire you for this. Is not a job. Interview. You don't know, man. The internet is a fickle freaking place. Oh well, I mean, if you want to, if this ends with you like tail between legs, uh, following her into the digs, <laughs> then uh, so be it. I'm not threatened. Tail in between my khaki legs. Yeah. Um, okay, but, now, what, but what was, you, what's the other idea? So there were two things happening at that time, right? So one of them, you're absolutely right, humans were spreading out across the world, evolved in Africa, and then you know, somewhere around 60,000 years ago, maybe a bit earlier, started heading out of Africa uh, into Eurasia, and then down to Australia, and eventually over to the Americas. And you do see on a lot of these continents those extinctions often coinciding with the arrival of humans on those continents, right. and on major islands too. So like. Madagascar until about 3,000 years ago had giant lemurs on it and then humans show up and they all go extinct. Why we gotta just kill big stuff? It's like the, the big sloth, like 20 feet tall, is it, wasn't it like that big? There were some that big, yeah. Like, I mean, I understand looking it's at so something slow. and, and it's thinking- It's like, to be brought like, down. I don't wanna eat that, man. But then why doesn't the other guy be like, yeah, but don't we also wanna have it? Like, to see? <laughs> like, okay, let's eat that one, but let's not eat that one. Like, why can't they just not eat them all? Why we gotta eat everything? You know, there's this idea that people have that like in order to drive a species to extinction, humans have to go out and like hunt down every single one. Mm -hmm. And we don't actually have to do that, right? Like you just have to kill a little bit more than are being born. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And then mm. they just die off. And then they just die off. It doesn't take that long. Right. So th- these people did not, they weren't thinking about ecology at the time. That was not, uh, that was not uh, an area of thought. Probably not. Until but, pretty recently. But right. to bring it back to this cave, which uh, really sparked your paleontology shift, I mean, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the conclusion or the prevailing theory at this point with why are all these, it, was it a burial ground? All these people dying and falling in a cave? Yeah, it was a burial ground. Oh, 11 of them, huh? Right. And when you got there, like how, how excavated was it? Are we talking like, oh, I can see like a, an arm sticking out there. Let's, let's dust it, whatever you do. You know, there had been some excavations there, I think, back in the 60s. And then Chile had a, a dictatorship for a while. And the guy that was in charge of the excavations, like a lot of the sort of academics and intellectuals, ended up fleeing the country during the dictatorship. Hmm. And so this was kind of the second round of excavations. They had decided to go back right. and, and do some more work there. So It was like half done. It was, it, yeah, it was partly done. And then we went in and did some more. And how but you, where are the people? Like when you show up, is it? I mean, is it you? You walk up to the edge, or you walk, you go down in the cave, and then there's still, you're, you're still dusting and chipping and pulling out, out people. Because yeah, that seems pretty exciting. Yeah, and occasionally we'd find you know new skeletons, but this is you know because they're underground. I mean, they died what eight, ten thousand years ago, and so yeah. there's been you know dust blowing into the cave and dirt washing into the cave over thousands of years. How, how intact? A couple feet underground. How intact are the skeletons? They were complete, pretty complete. Complete. Yeah. But I, I guess what I'm after is the most euphoric moment, I assume, is when you discover a new person. Like for you joining that excavation, like what what's what's the most memorable moment? Well, so for me, I think you know. I mean, everybody we, come over here. I don't know what it is. It like a party? I don't. I don't know what it's like. It oh, a, it yeah, no, it's very exciting. Yeah, air horn, right? You hit, you hit the air horn when you hit the new. <laughs> there are only like eight of us, so we don't mm, really need. Well, need the I, I'm going to bring an air horn. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I want to. I'm going to draw a lot of attention to myself when I find something new because I feel like I want to make a big moment out of it. Okay, I mean, I'll think of other options. Maybe they do make a big moment. That's my question. Well, so for me, I mean, you know, you, we got to this because you were wondering when my aha moment was. And mm-hmm. that cave was really my aha moment was sort of realizing that you could ask these ecology style questions that I liked in ecosystems that didn't exist anymore. And so give me an example of the, that. Well, question. so this question, like how did humans and these big animals and the environment they were living in interact and what does that tell us about why there aren't that many big animals around in North or South America anymore? And what might be happening today when we have a lot more big animals being kind of threatened mm-hmm. with extinction? Because the other factor, you know, we talked about sort of this hypothesis of humans coming and kind of uh, killing off the animals because they were big and tasty and slow. Right. Um, but the other thing that was happening at that time was climate change. So we were mm-hmm. coming out of the last ice age 
and um, the world was getting warmer. You know, it was the last major episode of, of global warming. You had uh, these sort of open, drier savanna ecosystems being encroached on by forests, which may not have been as hospitable to some of these animals right. that were there. And um, so there's been this kind of like debate and and in some, ki- some cases kind of acrimonious antagonistic debate between these two camps, like the climate camp and the human hunting camp, uh, mm. and sort of trying to figure out, okay, well, we're in a situation today where we've got you know increasing human populations, industrializing societies, increasing pressures on the remaining wild lands, and we're in the middle of another major climatic warming event. So what can we learn from this past event that happened that might help us to not have a whole bunch more big animals go extinct. So are you are you engaging in those kinds of questions today? Like, um, and you can and this may kind of you may get into like what you're doing at the tar pits here. But um, I mean, how much how much of your time is spent looking at the, these things from the past? It, are you always making that connection to the present day? Is that actually is that just a personal thing, or is that like no, that's actually part of your discipline is is making these connections to today's situation? So that is that is a big part of my research program. So and and an increasing number of paleontologists, I would say, are sort of trying to use this deeper time perspective of these really long-term ecological changes mm-hmm. to inform our understanding of what's happening today and inform conservation practices, even. And that's something that you know the Librea Tar Pits, where I am now, is really uniquely positioned to do because we have the record of essentially an entire ecosystem going from you know 50,000 years ago through the peak of the last glacial so major global cooling and then major global warming and the arrival of humans in the Americas and this big extinction event where 70% of the big mammals in North America disappeared right mm. and so and we've both been to the tar pits and took mm-hmm. the tu- took the tour i don't know if we took the tour together no I've but, been a couple of times though. Uh, but c- kind of explain this the dynamics of why why it's such a good good spot and why there are so many so many animals and so many intact fossils there. Well, and and first of all, I mean, just for just the passing experience, it's it's like okay, I'm just going to visit for just a few minutes. You don't even have to go inside, and you're like, well, there's the thing that shocked me at first was like these aren't like ancient tar pits that like now it's, there's no evidence of that that I could see with the naked eye. It's like, no, there's a there's a pond out there that's, that's like got tar, like black asphalt bubbling up out of it. Yeah. There's also some fake uh, woolly mammoths in it. Oh, yeah. Which is really cool. They'll catch you the they, first time you go. Yeah, I was like, real? <laughs> hey guys, nope, air fake. horn, there's a mammoth emerging right <laughs> now. Um, but it's basically, asphalt coming up out of the, the the depths to this day that animals were falling into and and dying so that you could uh, dig them up later and analyze them yeah pretty much so but but, but <laughs> so so that being said you can go there and it smells like someone's uh, uh, paving a road yeah it literally mm-hmm. smells exactly do like you that. still do you still smell that all or? the time yeah I do yeah you, you haven't adjusted yet no. No, in I don't fact, know if you can. so I used to work um, when I was in graduate school. I uh, spent three years excavating a tar pit site down in Ecuador. And when I started working at the tar pits, 
you know, I would walk through the park and be like, it smells like home, smells like Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm excited. I'm in the field. Right. You know, even though I spend most of my days these days, like, inside my windowless office in front of a computer, like, whenever I'm out at the site, like, I just get that kind of sense of excitement. Like, I'm in the field now. This what is-, is the process of getting something out of a tar pit, though? I mean, that's, I mean, that's not like just going up to a, you know, a cave and, and digging. Right, I mean, this is you're you're like are you like digging through the tar? Yeah, so it depends. You know, we have more than a hundred tar pit deposits that have been found in the park, and and you know they're all a little bit different. So some of them are super gooey. Like there's this big one you can look down into called Pit 91 that's like 59 or <laughs> like 15 feet deep now, and um and that's just. Uh, very sort of liquid and viscous, and you can't actually step in it, or you would, you know, sink in too. And so, anyone excavating in it has to be on these kind of catwalks uh, that we build over the top of it, and they have to either sit or lie on their stomachs and and dig the asphalt out and and the and measure the bones out that way. On the other hand, we have another set of excavations that are in these giant wooden boxes that mm-hmm. we brought up uh, when LACMA, the art museum next yeah. door, was digging their parking garage. And they had to, um, we had to get the fossils out so they could finish building their parking garage. Quickly. This was so you couldn't quickly. sit there and meticulously do it. Right. So, I mean, they, they took it out in, in huge cubes, right, right? Right. So they were found 10 years ago. We're less than halfway done with the fossils. So you can imagine how annoyed LACMA would be if we were, <laughs> if we were down there ourselves doing it. So they, yeah, they, they, we hired a tree boxing company and they brought them up in these big wooden boxes, uh, just like if you were transplanting like a big oak tree or a big palm tree. Um, and so we have these like big takeout boxes of bones that are all exactly in the same position that they were when they were deposited underground, only we're excavating them above ground. And that, those are older deposits and um, and they're much harder. The, the asphalt is more oxidized and stuff. So that it's more like, you know, sort of a typical paleontological, say, dinosaur dig where you're, mm. you know, hammering and chiseling away the hard matrix to get the bones out. But, but they were based, they basically just arbitrarily decided like, okay, this is the grid. We're going to like, Zzz, hack through this stuff, or d- how did they know where to cut? Because it's basically like cubes, so right. you're not cutting half of a uh, a major find and you know cutting it in half or something. So they'd come down on it. I mean, you know, they were digging, and you'd come down on it either from the side or the top, and then you'd sort of feel around and figure out where the extent of the deposit was, like. Oh how far did the the bone deposit go and then oh, really? you know okay. add some extra buffer zone around that and and that's where you build your box oh and then they take that they put in the the dirt all around that that's not a deposit they just excavated normally but then they oh we right. found another thing let's box this thing up yeah so you get fully intact deposits that's crazy now what's the craziest found that's been this thing that's been found in the box I don't know that we found anything particularly crazy or unexpected in the box. So people have been excavating the Librea tar pits so for like more, more than a hundred years. Same. Like another mammoth, another saber-toothed tiger, another what? Yeah, I mean that's you, we get a lot of those direwolves, uh, camels. Um, we found some cool things. So like uh, Zed, our one of our more famous mammoths, he was found in one of these deposits, and he's one of the only 
articulated specimens we have. That's to say we actually have almost all of his bones and they're all kind of together in the places they should be. You don't usually get that in a tar pit because in the tar you have, you know, those those methane bubbles coming up and the tar is sort of oozy and gooey and you have like the churning. bones churning around. Um, Zed wasn't like that. Zed died and was washed into a stream. And then later, the asphalt came up and preserved his bones. So you've actually got him sort of laid out pretty nice. So that's that's a cool one that we're able to, you know, really identify, oh, this is all one animal. And we can ask questions about that animal and how he lived and how he died and what he ate and the environment he lived in that you can't when you just have, you know, one piece of bone or one element. And what about getting DNA from from these uh, fossils, like how, what's the, how old or how young does it have to be before you can actually get DNA? So people have gotten DNA out of fossils this old, but nobody has ever gotten DNA out of fossils from a tar pit. And we don't completely know why. It could be that the asphalt itself destroys the DNA, or it could be that the types of chemicals and processes we have to use to get the asphalt out destroys the DNA, but we've tried. We have an active project working on it, but no luck so far. But the places that they've gotten like the mammoth DNA, do they have like the whole sequence? No, I don't think anybody has the whole sequence, but a lot of the mammoth DNA is coming out not of bones per se, but out of actual flesh of mammoths that have been preserved Frozen. in the Arctic that are now thawing out. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you're not going to typically get that out of a. You're going to get it when it, a frozen mammoth section. Right. Yeah. What? What about? Yeah. This isn't your field, but you think that they're going to make the mammoth they're, again? They're going to bring it back because the dude, that dude, said he was going to do it like three years ago. That dude. Yeah, that dude was like, "I got the stuff, man. I can do it." And then he made a big deal about it. And then I I'm did like, hear. Where's that mammoth? Where's the mammoth park? Where's the mammoth zoo? So that's being worked on. Um, there's a couple of different groups, I think, that are working on it. The question is, you know, at what point do you call something a mammoth? You know, I mean, we have, so we have a partially complete mammoth genome that we can sort of splice with an elephant genome that we can put into an elephant egg that we can grow inside an elephant and raise by humans in a world with no other mammoths and with environment and, and plant community that's very different from where right. mammoths live. So is that a mammoth? Is it a mammoth? Right. I mean, we can, you know, raise fuzzy elephants. Right. Exactly. Is that is that where where you land on the topic? You, you, do, you don't want them to do it? How do you feel? You know, I mean, of course there's like this gee whiz factor, right? Like all of us that that go into this field, you know, that don't sort of grow out of it when we're four, right? Like we were <laughs> in it partly because of that inspiration and sort of cool factor of like wanting to be transported back to this other time. So that's super compelling. Mm -hmm. And from a scientific standpoint, I mean, there are certainly things to be learned. The justification that most people cite for wanting to bring back a mammoth is that it's going to serve some sort of ecological function. like. You know, there used to be mammoths, humans went and ate them all, and so now there are no more mammoths in the Arctic, and uh, the Arctic has lost all these important biological functions. Uh, and and so that's problematic on, on a couple of levels. First of all, you know, it's not really a mammoth. Second of all, even if you bring back the mammoths, what about like all those other things that aren't living there anymore, and how about the fact that we're not in the Ice Age anymore? 
And and third, for all of those resources that you're going to be putting into trying to bring back the mammoths, maybe it would be better to put those into conserving the elephants so we don't have to be trying to de-extinct the elephants in another right. 20 years. Right. I bet there's a justification, um, you know, when you're talking about let's keep the elephants here instead of bringing the mammoths back. Well, if you brought a few mammoths back, there's a lot of people who pay a lot of money to visit, see, or own, maybe ride um, a woolly mammoth. God, yeah, that's a lot of money you could then put into. You gotta, you know, saving the elephants. You could charge five hundred bucks for a mammoth ride, probably. Now, I don't advocate the exploitation of of mammoths. I'm just saying this is a it's a it it's probably an argument that's been made. Like a lot more hair to grab onto. Well, I think what you're getting at. Is the, the capitalist conservation the, the irony of of you know you have to conduct your science in the context of our culture right so you've got to do it in a place where a lot of people don't even really care about science or don't are ignorant of it believe things that are completely counter to it um, but you still but you got to somehow get the funding that you need to do the science that we all need right. Um, but there's there's all kinds of like ironies. There's the fact that um, you know most of I, I would assume that most of like the excavations that you're a part of or a lot of them are these oil and gas companies because they're the ones that are digging all over the world, right? And so it's, you, you've got these guys who are doing all kinds of horrible things for our environment, but they're all it's also like your opportunity to learn things about the environment. Like how do you engage with that sort of irony? I don't know. That's a tough question. But yeah, I mean, you're right, especially in in sort of more rural places. Like I do a lot of work in South America. A lot of fossils are found in the in extractive industries, right? They're right. found in mines. They're found uh, on oil land. Uh, they're found. Um, I was on a project in Guyana where they were finding bones while they were washing uh, away basically the entire rainforest substrate right. uh, and looking for gold. So you know they do they do find a lot of fossils for us <laughs> and and they call you in they they sometimes. let you sometimes they'll let you get stuff out do they so do that because they're a, are they obligated is there are there like local laws that obligate them to like okay we found a dinosaur we can't just you know throw it in the other truck we have to like call scientists in a lot of places there are what about the black market like are, are, is there like are there like completely just shady outfits out there like fossil hunting and like you kind of like run in you can like run up on them and like at a site and stuff is that does that happen um i haven't encountered it at any sites uh certainly not at tar pit sites because those bones smell bad nobody wants them in their house right. but uh yeah i mean i mean fossil hunting private collecting can be you know, certainly a problem for science. It can also be a boon for science. It's it's a complicated topic. So I come out of a school of thought that, you know, any kind of support of the fossil collecting industry is ultimately more bad than good for science because it encourages people who don't necessarily know what they're doing, don't necessarily have, you know, the best interests interests of the uh, 
you know, scientific community or the fossils at heart to go out and find stuff and then sell it uh, for money. Right. Um, and we lose a lot of information that way. We don't know necessarily exactly where that fossil came from. We don't know what else it was found with. So we lose a lot of the important information that you would usually get for a fossil. Oh, I got something to, hel to help with this. Oh, I think I know what he's going to go get. Oh, yeah, he's, I know what he's going to go get. Well, there's a couple of choices. There's a few things that he might get. Okay, okay. Now. Yeah, that's mine. Rhett brought this in, and we put it on a shelf. And you know what? What? I've, I'm confiscating it, and I'm giving it to you. <laughs> I want you to have it. And I want you to learn everything you can from it, starting right now. Yeah, I feel bad about so, this. Got that on the black market. Well, it uh, looks like a cast of a saber-toothed cat skull. Ca a cast? It is uh, a saber-toothed cat. The people at Restoration Hardware, I knew, I knew. No, she said is that a, it I is a cat. They were doing this to it me. is a cat of a saber-toothed <laughs> yeah. cat. I don't know what that means. It's a cat of a cat. So what? It, tell us more. It's uh, it's not. This is all the fossil hunting Rhett has. Well, it's not. You, I, I hunt we, a lot of times. Every time we he go looks out around to, when to we Death hike, Valley, or, I, I'll look around. But what? Who, who, tell us about Betty. This is Betty. How do you know? Well, first of all, can you look at the skull and tell if it was a male or a female? No. Tell us about our fake skull that's been on our shelf. So, um, is it accurate? It's pretty accurate. It's um. You know, it's sort of frozen in its mouth open position. Um, yeah, I mean, you can tell that it has these incredibly long teeth, which scientists have spent a lot of time mulling over and trying to figure out the purpose of them. And the current thought is that it was used to slash the jugulars of prey. So we know that saber toothed cats, these uh, Smilodon, the species had their had extremely strong, like beefy forelimbs, and they would leap out and probably wrestle prey to the ground, and then they'd use these sabers to to kill the animal. It's amazing. Crazy. Now these come out of the tar pits, right? Yeah, we have more than two thousand saber toothed cats that we found at the tar pits so far. Is, it, is that the largest? I mean, is, are there more saber toothed cats at the tar pits than any other place? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like by far, right? By far. Why? Oh, because so the tar pits, the way they worked was you have this asphalt bubbling out of the ground because L.A. is on top of oil fields and it's tectonically active. So we have earthquakes and sometimes fissures open up and mm. the uh, oil seeps up to the ground. And when the lighter hydrocarbons evaporate from that, you end up with a sticky, dense asphalt that traps a bunch of things in it. So what it appears happened at the Liberia tar pits is you would get... Uh, say a sticky pool and it tends to get covered pretty quick with you know leaves and and dirt and you would see this you know I'm sure you guys noticed this you know when you were walking around the grounds of the tar pits you have sort of these fenced off areas where we have active tar seeps and mm -hmm. a lot of it you can't even see the tar seep that well mm -hmm, because yeah. you've got plant material on top of it so it seems that what happened was Occasionally, a big animal like a giant sloth or a mammoth or a bison or a horse or a camel would get stuck in one of these asphalt seeps. And when it was stuck, it would, of course, attract a lot of predators. And so we have two types of predators that are super abundant at the tar pits. We have saber-toothed cats and we have dire wolves. And 
both of these were like from Game of Thrones. Like from Game of Thrones, but a lot smaller. Oh, same name though. How how big were they? They were like a sort of bigger, like beefier linebacker version of a modern gray wolf. Okay. Um, did you know that like the Grateful Dead have a song called Dire Wolf that's about the Liberia Tar Pits? No. Mm-mm. Is it good? It's I'm, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you okay, check it out. I will see him live and then stretch it out. Could be thirty minutes live. Yeah, definitely, I just can't get off of it. <laughs> so those once you t- get caught in that tar pit, you can't can't get out of it. You just gotta noodle your way. I'm trying to make a musical analogy. Yeah, I get it. But the but these dire wolves, I see where you're going, and the and the smilodons, they cannot resist this this uh, pitiful huge prey. It's like why is it just sitting there? I, I can't. It smells funny, but I gotta bite it. I gotta get out there. Right, right. And so, you know, going back to the African ecosystem analogy. So, normal African ecosystem, you've got you know, like lots of elephant and zebras and wildebeest and impala and giraffes and and the big herbivores walking around. Then you have a smaller number of like lions and cheetahs, like the bigger carnivores, right? Mm-hmm. Liberia tar pits is exactly the opposite. Like we have a much, much, much larger number of carnivores than we have of herbivores. It's like this inverted pyramid of an ecosystem. And and that's we think that's why. We think it was because, you know, one stuck herbivore would attract a ton of carnivores to eat it and a whole bunch of those guys would get stuck too. And they'd be like, Man, Charlie's over there. Look, he's got in there. What Oh, now Dale's going in there. Charlie and Dale are both over there. I'm I a, definitely got to get over there. I'm gonna eat Charlie and Dale too if they're stuck. <laughs> yeah, you know. The next thing you know, I it's there's so many analogies. It's like you need to take your kids to the tar pits and be like, and leave them, and be like, this is what when one of your friends does something questionable, it's like getting stuck mm. in a tar pit, and if you, next thing you know. You go over and find out about that, you're stuck in the tar pit of life and you're gonna die and we're gonna find you years from now and put you on display in a museum. Son, don't so do drugs. Is there, is, excellent. Yeah. Is there an, um, like the evolution of the saber tooth? I mean, you, I, I guess the, the, the saber tooth got bigger over time. So can you see that? Like if you go deep into the pit, you see like, Oh, you got like really old. You got some normal n- non-saber-tooth cats. Well, we do. We have all kinds of different cats, but the tar pits, they only go back like 50,000 years, so you're not going to see major you're seeing like a snapshot. evolutionary change in that. But the saber-tooth morphology itself evolved mm-hmm. a bunch of times, and we actually have two different kinds of saber-tooth cats in the tar pits. Um, the main one is this one, uh, Smilodon fatalis, or uh, sometimes called uh, Smilodon californis. Californicus. Um, Sounds like a Red Hot Chili Peppers album name. Smilodon Californicus. But there's another one um, called Homotherium that's sometimes referred to as the scimitar cat that had uh, different shaped sabers. Um, But there's also, uh, there's been other saber tooth uh, cats, saber tooth other animals. There were saber tooth salmon like back in the Miocene up in Oregon. Saber tooth salmon. Whoa. It's crazy, right? Probably still eat it. It's well, crazy. I would have thought that, and the way only that the, the males had it or something, and it was some sort of like you know mating thing. But they both that both males and females have it. Both huh? males and females have it. Yeah, and then um, in addition to those two saber tooth cats in the tar pits, we've got the American lion, which is the biggest cat that's ever lived. There were these two lions, one in Europe and one in America, and they were like the biggest 
cats. They're just enormous. And we've got a species of jaguar, subspecies of jaguar that's that's now extinct in North America. And then last but not least, we've got the mountain lion. That's the only one that that's still made around. it. Yeah. Um, and how public facing is your job? Are you are you talking to people coming in there? Like, uh, are you are you in your office most of the time doing research, or like, how often are you interacting with just the public coming to experience the tar pits? You know, it's um, on different occasions. So, so I mean, I I do public talks and and things like that, and I sometimes drive to Burbank to do podcast interviews, mm-hmm. and yes. things like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, occasionally, you know, when I go out to the excavations to look at the site and talk to the excavators and stuff, you know, people are always coming by and asking questions, and I love that part of my job where I get to just sort of, you know, talk to people kind of informally in that way too. Um, and and we do tours, and we had a summer camp recently that we ran at the Tar Pits, and I talked to the summer campers, and that was fun. So, so there's a lot of kind of it's it's a it's a very diverse job. It's just it's it's a lot. <laughs> right. So something I'm curious about, and as you deal with the public, um, you know, there's an interesting um, dynamic in America where you've got a very large percentage of people. I don't I don't know half or whatever that don't even believe that evolution happened. Right? Are they, when you say, oh, these tar pits go back 50,000 years, and they're like, well, 50,000 years ago, there wasn't anything. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your being in, it's such a crazy thing that we're, we're at, the, we, we know so much about all the stuff that is happening. You're finding new in, information all the time, but there's a lot of people who just don't buy it. So, what is your interaction with that? Like, when you're, when you're interacting with the public, do you deal with that kind of thing? Do you, do you run into that? You know, I haven't so far, but I know that we do get, you know, those sorts of questions um, at the Tarpets, the, the uh, you know, gallery interpreter staff and, and some of the the lab and excavation staff certainly, certainly field those types of questions a lot. I think, you know, one of the advantages is that museums are generally considered to be pretty trusted institutions. It's actually where a lot of Americans get their scientific information more than school, more than television shows. They they actually trust museums uh, to give, you know, accurate information about science. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, that's one of the big advantages we have being such a public and well-known institution is to try and do that in a really profound way mm-hmm. and and a really sort of welcoming and open way to try to explain concepts that some people are really uncomfortable with. What are you what are you maybe most excited about in terms of a compelling way to help people understand or I don't know feel climate change when they when they come in if that's if that's part of your plans like how do you encapsulate that? You could turn the heat up you could, you could bring them into a room, and you could slowly turn the heat up, and it could be like, "Did you know that it raised two degrees centigrade in the time that you were here?" And they'd be like, "I didn't really notice. It doesn't feel that much different. I guess global warming is not really that big a deal." <laughs> you don't want to do that because people won't. Have you thought of that? Yeah, people people won't. They, they'll, they'll think. I hear people say that all the time. They're like, "One degree." I mean, like, it was like 90 degrees yesterday and then like 95 the next day, and it wasn't really that big of a deal. Well, so don't do that idea. That was a bad one. It was just the first thing I thought of. Yeah. I mean, the difference of like Unless five you're degrees. Doing it, then maybe it's a good idea. The difference of five degrees average uh, centigrade 
it doesn't sound like much, but that's the difference between having half of North America covered in ice and where we are today. Right. Stuff like that. See, put that on a t-shirt. Make it a little catchier. But so, but but you, but you are figuring out specific ways to present that information, the facts, in a compelling way. Absolutely. That that compels people to change their minds or to appreciate or or even take action. So what I guess what is the what is the goal? What's the how how do you how do you want to move the needle in like visitors lives? What do you want them to change? That's the million dollar question. <laughs> that's 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 the sort of next three years of my job there. Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, you don't give it all away, then you. I think. I think you get laid off. <laughs> you know. I think. I think at the tarpets, like you know, we have the ability to tell a story because of what we have there. But the the other thing that we have there that you don't find at most museums is we have the entire process of a scientific discipline happening in one place, right? So in one visit, I mean, you you guys have been there, you know, you can come and you can see scientists, uh, paleontologists out in the field finding fossils and excavating them. You can see those fossils, same fossils in the lab being worked on uh, by the by the lab preparators and being researched by uh, people at our museum and visiting researchers from all over the world. And then you can see the presentation of what we've learned from that research in one place. So I think there's a real opportunity to sort of empower people to think about how the scientific process works, which seems mm-hmm. to be something that's pretty mysterious to a lot of right. people and foreign and maybe even... Uh, a little bit threatening yeah. and and have people recognize, oh, this is just the same type of empirical inquiry that I do in my life every day. Mm-hmm. Science is not that mysterious. Everybody can do it. I can do it. And now I have a better understanding of, you know, why this is important and why it is trustable. Yeah. And I mean, it's exciting that you're doing that because, I mean, I think the the thing that you see quite a bit is you'll see somebody who could go to a place like the tar pits and they're like, oh, that's, yeah, I get it. Mammoths fell in there and that's cool and now their bones are here and saber tooth. That's a really cool, crazy animal that existed at some point. It doesn't exist now. But then as soon as you like suggest something like, well, and that happened 50,000 years ago or this gives us this particular insight into climate change or climate change or evolution or whatever, and all of a sudden something that they hold sacred is is threatened, they put a wall up and it's like, well, I'm not gonna go down that trail. That's, now you're getting into some stuff that makes me feel uncomfortable. So, and that's just a, that's a very, very difficult battle to be fighting, but a really, really important one, especially in this country. Right. So, we commend you. I also commend you. <laughs> well, I said I'm we. part of the we. I said we, man. Um, and I'm excited, yeah, as we go back and visit to see your work over the next few years as you could, I mean, it was so exciting to see people at work, things happening, people wrestling with evidence and then presenting it. It, it's, it was very cool. But you're not just there because you recently came off of a trip to, was it Utah and Texas? Yeah, it was both just of those. Both of those. Actually, I visited every state in the American Southwest in two and a half weeks with two small children. Whoa! I feel pretty good about that. And okay. you took two child scientists with you. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, all children are basically scientists. I think. I mean, your you children. See, I, I, your, your children too. I mean, you see someone like you know. You didn't take his children. <laughs> you took no, his children. But you took your children. <laughs> I think. I think if you see a child that like throws a spoon off a table and wants to see if it happens every single time they do it, that's scientific. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, or or lack of discipline. <laughs> need more discipline in their lives. So what'd you find? Well, so the uh, the trip to Utah was actually it was part of a natural history museum trip. It wasn't it wasn't my research. It was my first dinosaur excavation. It was oh, really yeah. fun. It was a sauropod site. So sauropods are like the biggest dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, like what we used to call brontosaurus, brontosaurus back yeah. when I was a kid. Oh. And um, so they had yeah, I mean huge like leg bones and and vertebral columns like the spines going. The through. tail of that thing. We were just in the. Uh, Natural History Museum in uh, New York a couple weeks ago, and you know they had to like revise the sauropod uh, skeleton based on like the posture of it, 2009 findings or whatever. And one of the things they did was extend the tail, and the thing it's it's comical how long it is. It like gets to a point where it definitely is like this would be a really long tail, and you'd be like totally okay. <laughs> and then it like goes another like 30 feet into the point where it's just these little teeny vertebrae. Just in a line, like a like toothpicks, just right next to each other, and like, why'd you have to be so long, man? God, yeah. we, we get it. You got a long tail. <laughs> <laughs> you you helped dig one of these up. Yeah, I worked. I worked at that site. It was really fun. Wow, was the head out yet? We had a couple of skull fragments, and it wasn't just sauropods. We actually had a, a jawbone from something, uh, some sort of meat eater. So it might have been like an Allosaurus or something. We're not sure. Um, Where is this? Is it like in the middle of nowhere, Utah, in like a state park, or is it like beside a gas station? Are people coming up, moseying out of their hotel rooms underdressed? No, no. The La Brea Tar Pits is one of the only places I think where you're like right in the middle of right. a major, <laughs> major urban area. No, this is. Uh, it was a little bit middle of nowhereish. It was, it was a couple hours south of Moab. Beautiful country, like big sky, crazy red rock formations, mesas. Like really, really gorgeous area to be. Really hot. You got to take a helicopter in there. Or no. You're like no, it was. Uh, we were able to drive in with a, with a hearty pickup truck. And like, uh, what are your kids thinking about this when they're when they're they're seeing you brush around? So I wish my four year old was a little bit more excited about dinosaurs, like most of his peers. I think I kind of spoiled it for him because by t by by giving him sort of overly accurate scientific information from the beginning, because I asked him, you know, when we were going, I was like, "Are you excited to go, you know, dig up dinosaurs? You know what what dinosaurs were?" And he looked at me and said, "Yeah, they were birds." <laughs> Which is true, right? Which so. is true. So, or you, rather, birds bird, are yeah. dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but you know, he was a good sport about it, and the baby, you know, he's just happy, right? As long as, as long as everything's, you know, there are people around and and things are changing and and interesting, he couldn't be happier. So, right. And what about in Texas? What was the, what was what was coming out of the ground there? So that was actually related to my own research. Uh, it's back to back to the Ice Age. Remember, I said we have these two species of saber-toothed cats at the tar pits. There's the the one that everyone knows, the mm -hmm. Smilodon, and then there's this other one, the scimitar cat, Homotherium. This was a homotherium den. So there were like saber-toothed kittens, there were baby mammoths that the mama saber-tooths had been dragging in for their kittens. Yeah. It's got tons of fossils. It's actually, I found it referred to multiple times 
uh, as the La Brea Tar Pits of Texas. So that's a place that we're looking into maybe partnering with and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be doing some research uh, there with some other some other scientists. So you're going to keep going back there, maybe? Maybe, yeah. So 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 those these were sort of my first like kind of scouting expeditions for it, and we'll see we'll see what comes of those. Are you two like th- taking into account like the nightlife in the area, or like oh they got a good barbecue restaurant down the, down here? Like, or, or is it ju- is it all about the cave? It's pretty much all about the cave. <laughs> okay, I respect that. Hey. Yeah, I mean that's why you're a scientist. I like a good good barbecue restaurant. I'd be like, "Is there a good barbecue close?" Uh, let's see if we can find another cave. <laughs> that's my problem. Yeah. I got to learn to subsist on. Like, do you do you bring your own food in there? Like, what, what are we talking like freeze dried REI food? Like, what, what's what's happening? Because I need, I need to prepare because I I know that I'm gonna go on one of these before I die. I got to. Well, you know, most most people, most paleontologists learn pretty quickly. Like, you know, it's it's like the old saying: an army runs on its stomach, yeah. right? So, so you've got to if you're going to have people working for you for not a lot of money in harsh conditions in oh, you got food uncertain trucks? weather. We we bring we bring a lot of food and a, and and a fair amount of booze, and we feed people well, and is and there, is people like generally a, have a good time. Like a, it's almost like it's catered. Like, is there like a is there somebody who's just there for the food? Just some some digs run that way. Oh, maybe you you might want to you might want to look into might be one of the one of the boxes you want to check. That's yeah, how yeah. you could get in on it. I want you my could dig ca- to you be, could be catered. A, no, the only way you're going to get in on it is to be the caterer. Well, I'd have to be able to cook really well. I could bring a bunch of packaged. You could food. be the snack Make guy. It, snack guy, yeah. I'll be the snack. Snack guy, guy coming around, tall guy, all khakis. <laughs> Coming around with granola. He definitely looks like he wants to be on the dig, but he's just bringing me Doritos right now. <laughs> That's the only way you're getting in. You, you got to get a foot in the door, man. Tail between his legs, delivering Doritos. <laughs> I didn't know that the thing that was going to burst your bubble was not having a barbecue restaurant nearby. I, just I thought know, it was going to be I just know what the my sheer needs are. all the hours of just brushing and chipping away meticulously. I think I think that's it. It's just like I would want to be the guy that found something. But I understand that like, most of the time you go into a place, you're just, everything's, a lot of stuff is already found and you're kind of just like getting more, getting get, getting getting more of it out. Well, yeah, I mean, so there's two types of paleo projects, right? One is basically prospecting where you're, you're, you're somewhere where you know you should find fossils mm-hmm. because it's the rocks are the right age because people found fossils nearby and so you're looking for a new site. Okay. And then other ones are people have found a site and you know there's stuff there but you don't know how far it goes, you don't know everything you're gonna find, maybe you need more of those specimens to uh, kind of figure out what was going on at the site or learn more about those animals. And so those are the sites that, that I generally work at. And I mean, the tar pits being the quintessential one, right? Like right. people have been excavating there for more than a century. The gift that keeps on And giving. we're still digging every day because we still feel like there's there's more that we can learn. Maybe there's a business idea here. So you got people like me who just, you know, I've got this interest in the subject, but uh, I'm probably not gonna. I'm obviously not gonna go back and get the education required to do this legitimately at this point. But I really want the to to experience the feeling of finding something. So, mm. Easter egg hunt. Think about how that works, right? You got these Easter eggs. You place them all over the back backyard, and kids find them, and 
you know, you, you can hide them a little more, you make it a little more difficult to find for the older kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. What if you like, you go to one of these prospecting sites and then you like, you like you find the, the thing that confirms that this is the site and then you, you cover it back up and then you and call me. You sell tickets. And you give me and you're like, listen, the T-Rex is like over there, you know, like. Warmer. Yeah, I mean, give me a map. Colder. You know, give me a map. Give me a map that's not too mm. difficult, that is like 30 paces east you know, you want like an X at the treasure chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of map. I just like a pirate map. I want the feeling. If, but I, and I would pay good money for this. I think a lot of people would. Start at the barbecue restaurant. <laughs> Take forty-eight thousand paces. Here's the cool That's part. North. Once I find the T-Rex, you cover it up and charge the next fool the same amount that you charge me. The T-Rex. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You could make. A million bucks off on one T-Rex that you never completely dig up. But and, and it's fund not a lie. Everything. And but by the way, I'm in full agreement. In that this Can will we work. start this? I don't want to be we involved. We need you to start a business like he, this. Here, here's the thing: you you can you don't have to lie to anybody. You can tell them you're covering it up every yeah, time. I know that it's just a people cover. don't people don't care about that. Don't care. I want the satisfaction. They of just it. want it. They just want the experience, and they want it's everyone like around. West, it. It's like Westworld. As long man. as everyone around plays along, he discovered it. He did it, let's all get back to the barbecue restaurant. <laughs> you can charge an extra 20 bucks for the air horn rental. So that when I find it, I'm like, Hurr! and they're like, he's the tall khaki found it. You know? Yeah. You, you know what, Rex? Brett? <laughs> but, yeah, Rex, exactly. And your name will be changed <laughs> to Rex. T-Rex. You can call me T-Rex or Rex McLaughlin. <laughs> you know, you could just come and volunteer at the tar pits. I guarantee you, you will find fossils every day, and we've got 150 restaurants probably within walking distance. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot of really good eating in that area. I can, can I send him over there and you'll watch him for me? Yeah, if, if he passes the tests. Okay. With the tests? tests? No. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll tell it's you right now. It's not a height test, is it? Sometimes I, I get kicked off of rides because no. I'm too tall. My seven-year-old, um, he bought the little Lego Statue of Liberty when we were in New York City, and he brings it back home, and the, there's a little Lego flame that comes off of the Lego torch mm. of Lady Liberty, which is a magnet. We get home, and he drops the flame into the big box of Legos. She lost she lost it later. And I'm Liberty like, I'm like extinguished. he was upset. He was he was crying. <laughs> and he comes to me and I thought to myself, I know how to find this Lego torch. I've seen the paleontologist grid it out lay it all out, grit it all out, and meticulously, systematically, over time, pour over every piece of the Legos until they find the torch. You didn't actually do this with like string, did you? I thought this, and what I said was, it's gone, son. It's gone. <laughs> you lied to him. Well, he knew it was in there. If he wants to find it, he can do it. But I'm not gonna sit there and do it. I thought you were about to tell a wonderful story about like putting them all out on like a giant checkerboard and like going meticulously through each square. But you told him it was gone. That's my point exactly, man. You go off and have your fun. 
or come to my house. I got a job for you. <laughs> it's yeah. just. You want me to come and find your freaking Lego? You, there uh, will be no satisfaction in that, but I will blow an air horn when I find it. <laughs> <laughs> so I respect what you do for that reason, because as much as I love my son, I couldn't even do it for him. Mm. I'll just come volunteer. I'll, I'll, I'll be there at some point. Just one day a week, that's all we ask. Okay, whoa, <laughs> wow, that just got a lot more serious. For the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Khaki, khaki's provided. As long as I can name the thing after me. If it's a new species. How about that? Well. Just give it to him straight. You know, so so we do, if you work in the fossil lab, and you prepare a skull, which can take like months of effort, yeah. even even years potentially. You prepare an entire skull, we let you name the skull. Ooh, oh, just, just that skull. We, we let you name like whatever animal was associated with that skull. So so we've got, you know, Fluffy, we've got Zed, we've got little Timmy. Okay. We've got, you know, all kinds of individuals. That what, but no whole species. That's, that, that's you difficult. Know, so we're sort of, again, you know, once you've been working at the same site for for what 120 years like you're not super likely to find new species right um except now we're starting to look at some of the smaller animals that we find at the tar pits. so things like you know the rodents and the rabbits and the lizards and stuff so it's possible that in there we could find could name a, rat. a new species the rat rat you should name it something like totally profane so no one feels comfortable saying it <laughs> <laughs> just to test their limits. Okay, I'll do some thinking on that. Um, well, Emily, thanks so much for coming and uh, talking to us. I still feel like this is something I want to do. You haven't. You did it. You haven't ruined it. You haven't bursted my bubble. Bursted. You, you've just inflated it a little bit. Well, it was a pleasure being here. I enjoyed talking to you guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's success, man. Yeah. All right, run along. Thanks for. Thanks for. Not you. <laughs> yeah, you're telling, you're telling me to leave. <laughs> Run along to the tar pits. Okay. I'll be back. We'll be happy to have you. To hear this Ear Biscuit in its entirety so you don't miss a thing, follow the links in the description to Art19, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are available. To watch more Ear Biscuits, click the video on the left. To watch more from This Is Mythical, click the video on the right. And don't forget to subscribe by clicking the circular icon. Thanks for being your mythical best. <laughs>